0: Alright, we still doing good? Alright, like your, your world didn't just fall apart in the last 10 minutes since I was last up here. Okay, good, just making sure, just making sure. Um, really glad you guys are here this morning, really glad to be here. Well, I'll let you know real quick before I get started. Um, one of the things that we do here at VFC is that we're very interested in mobilizing you to do the work of the ministry. Um, we don't believe that pastors are just... Uh, Uh, you know, paid ministers that do the ministry for you. Uh, We are actually the coaches that help you do the ministry. And so because of that, uh, we want to make sure that you know all about the different opportunities to serve here at the church. Uh, There's actually a bulletin board in the Welcome Center that lists a lot of of the different ministries. And um, when we get to the end of the year, we begin to uh, turn over leadership. When someone is over a particular ministry here at the church, they sign up for one year. Uh, We do that for a couple of reasons. First of all, to make sure uh, that there's not a lot of burnout that goes on. Because many of you know you've been to a church and they just work you and work you and work you and work you. And you're like, I don't like church anymore. Well, we don't want to do that here. And so we ask you to serve uh, in a leadership position for one year when you oversee a particular ministry. We also, if someone's always in a particular leadership ministry, that means we can't raise up more leaders. Right, And so we want to make sure that everyone gets the chance to serve. So all that is to say, we're revisiting all of our ministries right now since it's uh, getting towards the end of the year. If you are interested in serving in a particular area at the church, please let me or Cynthia know. And uh, we'll we'll be happy to to see how we can get you integrated. Maybe you can lead a team. Maybe you can just be on a team. I'm talking about things like the greeters and the welcome center, the coffee shop, the the altar ministry team, Um, all the different things that we do. Food pantry. We've just got a ton of stuff that the Lord allows us to do here. It's just so awesome. Um, And so uh, we want you to get involved. Don't wait on us. Sometimes people are like, Well, God, if you want me to do this, just tell the pastor. It's like oh I got a lot to do okay I can't hear from God for you I want to teach you to hear from God yourself so don't don't you know d- don't do that kind of stuff just you're laughing because you've done it so <laughs> so so don't you know it, what's on your heart what matters to you well then we want to uh, empower you to minister in that way cool cool um, also want to echo uh, one of the. Uh, The the announcements about uh, Thanksgiving, um, Project Backyard is a great organization in town. Uh, They're giving away uh, Thanksgiving meals. Uh, The emphasis this year is on taking it to people. They're not having a meal there at the Thomasville High School. Um, They're actually just, we're just delivering uh, the meals. We did it last year, like a a deaf, we actually prayed for a, a, a deaf lady and she got healed. It was crazy. It was, I felt like I was on TBN or something. I was like, all right, now can you hear this? You know, it was crazy. So it, it's just an opportunity for you. And then I get, you've got, you've got your own lunches, you've got your own dinners. I get it, but come on, make time for someone else. I highly encourage you to sign up uh, and do that. So, all right, are we ready? Are we good? Okay. We're continuing our series called First Things First. We've been talking about um, really kind of about prioritization and time. And week one was called It's About Time. Because it literally was about time. Um, Time is a limited resource. Um, It's valuable, therefore, others will be after it. How you use your time is either going to bring glory to God or it's going to bring glory to yourself or it's going to bring glory to someone or something else. Week two, last week, we talked about making a turducken. Did anyone decide that they're going to do that for Thanksgiving? A couple people. I talked with a few people that did have a turducken, they said it was awesome. But what we did, we draw a spiritual parallel between uh, making a turducken, which by the way is a chicken stuffed inside of a duck, stuffed inside of a turkey, uh, stuffed inside of a person <laughs> when you eat it. Um, and uh, we're, when we're trying to do too much, we become overwhelmed, overworked, and out of sync, and our lives look like a turducken. We're just cramming everything in there. And so we talked about how to slow down and prioritize. This week we're talking about family insanity, Family insanity. Because one of the things we learned is on our priority list, our biblical priority list that we're supposed to live by, family is like way, 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 way up at the top. And so because of that, it, it makes sense that we would take some time and, and, and talk about it. Now, here's the thing. I know none of you have weird family members. I know none of you ever get in disagreements or arguments with family members. But just, I, I really feel like you could take this message and maybe help some other people. Right? Amen. Asking you ever see people on Facebook, I'm asking for a friend. So maybe you're just here for a friend this morning. But um I, I really believe that that we can take a look at, at um at how God wants us uh to deal with family and to love our family. Look. Family often gets painted, especially in church, as this unrealistic love fest. Like we color coordinate our children and, and look, at, look at little, you know, look at little Jimmy and little Jane and they're, aren't they so cute? And like you were yelling at them in the car, you know, don't take your coat off, right? And, and so that sometimes we, we fight this tendency, especially in our churches, to, to be fake, and to present what we want people to think our family is like. Instead of just being ourselves. Now that doesn't mean you come into the worship center screaming at each other. But what it means is that we, we don't try to you know, put up a facade. And, and to, to try to fake people out. The truth is. The truth is we don't always like our family right? Sometimes our family. Either our immediate family or our extended family. Sometimes they annoy us. Sometimes they disappoint us. Um, yet. Like I said last week, they're at the top of our biblical priority lists. Um, and and it, creates, it can create some tension. You know, your extended family, uh, you, don't, you aren't supposed to prioritize your extended family as much as you prioritize your immediate family. But sometimes, don't you know, your extended family wants to be number one in your life. And so this, kind of, this creates tension, uh, and it creates this family insanity that we sometimes deal with. So we're going to talk about it, and I want to let you know something. Hopefully this is going to take the pressure off to be perfect, the pressure off to always have it together with your family. You know, I I just need to let you guys know, if you ever see a picture of me with my family and everyone's, like, smiling and looking sweet, like, that's fake. (laughs) We worked really, really hard at that picture, all right, So don't think that's like like we walk around the house smiling at each other. Hey, this is not how it works, right? Every family. So, so we're going to actually look at the life of Jesus. I want to free you up this morning and let you know something. Jesus didn't always get along with his family. Jesus, the Son of God, God in man. God wrapped in flesh. He didn't always get along with his family. Not just his natural family, but his spiritual family as well. Let me show you something. This is pretty cool. Let's talk about Jesus' natural family for a little bit. Let's read John chapter 7. We're going to look at verses 1 through 5. Now, while you turn there, you need to know Jesus had four brothers that we know of. Um, and people will have brothers because, okay, yeah, Jesus' dad was was actually, you know, God the Father. But but Mary had uh, four other sons. Um and at least two sisters. They aren't named, but it's plural, sisters, okay? We see it a couple times in Scripture. So Jesus actually had a family, and you should know, at first, they didn't believe in him. At first, they didn't believe in him at all. You're about to see that, but this is what we know. By the time Jesus died and was resurrected, and then all the disciples were in the upper room and the Holy Spirit was poured out, they were in there. Jesus' mom, Jesus' brothers and sisters. You can read it. It's Acts chapter 1, verse 14. So something happened, something happened from when he was doing his earthly ministry to when he had completed his work on the earth. But I want to show you this. John chapter 7, uh, verses 1 through 5. It says, after, after this, Jesus traveled around Galilee. Now Galilee is where he's from. So he's going back to his hometown to minister. He wanted to stay out of Judea where the Jewish leaders were plotting his death. Hey, that's cool. If someone's plotting my death, I tend to not be there. But, it, but soon it was time for the Jewish festival of, of shelters. Um, you, you may have heard this called a Sukkot. Or it's, a, it's a pretty big uh, Jewish uh, festival. And that's when everyone goes to Jerusalem, which is in Judea. Um, and so he's, but he's hanging out in his local, uh, where, he, where he's from. Verse 3, Jesus' brothers say to him, now I need you to read between, I need you to read in the sarcasm font when you're reading this, okay? Because it's not, it's not kind what they're saying here. Jesus' brother said to him, leave here and go to Judea where your followers can see your miracles. You can't become famous if you hide like this. If you can do such wonderful things, show yourself to the world. Verse 5, for even his brothers didn't believe in him. Ouch. That's kind of harsh. Hey, oh, you're here, Jesus? Great, we're so glad you're here. But you should probably leave. Because I know you want to be famous and everything. You're trying to do this uprising, whatever you're doing here. uh, And you really need to go to the big city where the the festival was. They probably knew they were going to kill him there. So they're saying, why don't you go to where they're going to kill you so you can become famous and everyone can see your, your miracles? Ouch. Ouch. And Jesus, he didn't really hold back when he responded. He was like, well, I can't go because I'm doing something with my life, but you can go. I mean, I mean seriously, on your own time, you can read it. He kind of jabs back a little bit. But, but you know, he, Jesus didn't always get along with his natural family. There was some tension there. We'll look at this a little bit later. We're going to look at another passage with his his natural family. He also didn't get along with the spiritual family all the time. You know, Jesus traveled around with with his disciples. Now, you all know about the 12 disciples that became the apostles. But he had many more disciples than that. Uh, But there were times when he was dealing with his disciples that, uh, man, he got a little hacked off at them. He got a little frustrated with them, and I want to show you one of those times. It's uh, Mark chapter 8, 11 through 21 here real quick. So uh, he, he, just, um, he just heard, he just fed a bunch of people. He gets in a boat. He's going to cross over to a city called Dalmanutha. Have you ever heard of Dalmanutha? No? Hey, here's why. Verse 11, when the Pharisees heard that Jesus had arrived in Dalmanutha, they came and started to argue with him, testing him, and demanded that he show them a miraculous sign from heaven to prove his authority. When he heard this, he sighed deeply in his spirit. Okay, you've done that before, by the way. You go, Right? Yeah, that's probably like a weekly occurrence for me. Jesus did it too. And he goes, why do these people keep demanding a miraculous sign? He just fed thousands of people miraculously. I'll tell you the truth. I will not give this generation any such sign. So he got back in the boat and he left them. And he crossed the other side of the lake. That's why you've never heard of Dalmanutha. Because the city let the religious people greet the work of God. The religious people were in charge. And as soon as Jesus stepped foot on the shoreline. They begin to argue with him. He's like, I'm out. Look, we need to be careful that we don't greet the work of God with our religious mentality. Amen? Amen. So, verse 14, the disciples had forgotten to bring any food on the boat. They had only one loaf of bread with them in the boat. Verse 15, as they were crossing the lake, Jesus warned them, watch out, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and of Herod. Now, The yeast is the active ingredient that makes bread, bread, essentially. And he's warning them about two groups. We don't have time to get into it, but basically it's the religious mindset and the political mindset. The religious mindset was embodied by the Pharisees. The political mindset was embodied by Herod. Verse 16, at this, when he said this, they began to argue with each other because they hadn't brought any bread. They totally went right over their head. They start arguing with each other. Judas, you're the treasurer, man. Why didn't you, you've got the money. Why didn't you think to buy bread? Philip, your dad's a baker. Why didn't you, you know, I don't know if Philip's dad was a baker. I'm making that up. But the point is, they were arguing, right? They were arguing about stuff. Verse 17, Jesus knew what they were saying, so he said, oh, this is where, okay, this is where Jesus turns, on, turns it up, okay? He goes, why are you arguing about having no bread? Don't you know or understand even yet? Are your hearts too hard to take it in? You have eyes, can't you see? You have ears, can't you hear? I feel like my mom said that to me at one point. Don't you remember anything at all? And then here comes the questions. When I fed 5,000 with five loaves of bread, how many baskets of leftovers did you pick up? Twelve. They said, and when I fed 4,000 with seven loaves, how many large baskets of leftovers did you pick up? Seven, they said. Don't you understand yet? He kind of went off on them, didn't he? You've got ears. Why aren't you hearing? Isn't it like that sometimes with our family, though? They just, you know, we're, I mean, Jesus was having a bad day. Jesus was hacked off. The Bible says, be angry and do not sin. I know you think of Jesus as not ever getting mad. He was mad. He just, he was trying to spread the gospel. He was trying to heal people, and he got greeted by the religious mindset. He's like, I'm out. He's mad. He goes, Beware of the leaven, beware of the active ingredient of those people. And they're worried, and then his disciples are worried about bread. After he just fed thousands of people, they didn't get it, and he was frustrated. So we see that Jesus didn't always get along with his natural family. He didn't always get along with his spiritual family. So what's the answer? So neither are you. If Jesus didn't always get along with his natural family, neither will you. If Jesus didn't always get along with his spiritual family, neither will you. But we can look at the life of Jesus and we can and we can see how to overcome family insanity. And here's the answer. You love them when you don't like them. That's the answer. The answer to family insanity, the answer uh, to how do we deal with people when they're annoying us, frustrating us, and in general just driving us crazy, is you love them when you don't like them. If you want to make your way to John chapter 13, we're going to look at some instructions here. It says, Jesus talking to his disciples Verse 34, he says, So now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. So if you say, well, how do you love? How do you love someone? Well, you love in the way that Jesus loves us. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Now, this is interesting. He didn't say your love for the world will tell the world that you're my disciples. He said, your love for each other will tell the world that you are my disciples. See, there are going to be times when we don't like our spouses, when we don't like our children, when we don't like our extended family. There are going to be times when we don't like our church family. And you're going to be tempted to let a root of bitterness spring up, to get offended. But Jesus is saying, You need to learn to love them when you don't like them. You need to learn to love someone when you don't like them. So that means we have to properly define love. This is my definition for love. Uh, You've probably heard me say it a few times if you've been coming here. I will continue to say this, and it's this. Love does what's best for the other person. Love does what is best for the other person. Sometimes that's a hug. Sometimes, that's a push. It depends. You know, if someone is hurt and wounded and they they really need help, it's, it's not time to deal with everything they've done wrong to get in that situation. It's time to bandage their wounds. At the same time, if someone is standing in the road and there's oncoming traffic about to hit them, you need to push them as hard as you possibly can. That's what love requires of you. Because love does what's best for the other person. Well, I don't want them to think that they... Yeah, but you got You got to... It's not about you. It's about the other person, right? So love does what's best for the other person. Y'all, love is not easy. Love is not easy. It's not comfortable. It's not pretty sometimes. Love holds you to a higher standard, not the other person. It holds you to a higher standard. Love is the decision to place someone else above yourself. This is the solution, and we're about to see how Jesus began to love his disciples when he didn't like them. He began to love his natural family when he didn't like them, and it's what we have to do as well. So I want to show you um, three ways that we love people when we don't like them. Here's the first one, as we serve them. We serve them You remember uh, in the scripture we just read, he says, just as I have loved you, you should love each other. You know what Jesus had just finished doing with and for his disciples? He just finished washing their feet. He had gotten down on his knees and he began to do what was a servant's job. When you entered into a house in, 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 um, in Israel at this point in time, there was usually, a, if it was, a, if it was a, a house, people had some money, there would be a servant there, and the servant's job was to wash the feet of the people. It was a walking community. They didn't have cars back then. You probably knew that. They walked. So their feet got dirty. And dusty, and it was just part of their culture. A sign of honor was to have someone wash their feet when they came in. And then they would walk barefoot in the house, you know, as long as they had something to walk on that wasn't earth. So so that, that was the custom. So that's what Jesus did to his disciples. He did the most obvious sign of what servants do. He washed their feet. He washed their feet. So that's what we do. We serve people. We serve people. Now, love... Love is action. Love is not just a concept. The word agape is the Greek word for love, God's kind of love. And it's interesting in 1 Corinthians 13, which, com- which is commonly known as the love chapter in Scripture, if you read it in the King James Version of the Bible, it's not translated love, it's translated charity. Isn't that interesting? Now, charity, as we know, is when you give money to like an organization, or when you volunteer your time for an organization. like you, that We call it giving charity. That's the same word as love. It's service. It's sacrifice. When you serve someone, you're treating them like they're better than you think they are. Sometimes better than you know they are. But that's, that's what service does. You don't, you don't treat them based on what they've earned in your eyes. You treat them based on who Jesus says that they are. You give without expectation. Service trains your heart. Serving other people, it trains your heart to love other people. It trains you, you, your eyes to be off of yourself and onto others. And so we have to serve people. It's interesting, you know, we read in Mark chapter 8 where Jesus was really annoyed and went off on his disciples, right, about the bread. Turn back to Mark and go to chapter 9. And so this is after all this. So he, he's, he just went off on them. But just a little bit later, verse 2, a few days later, Jesus took Peter, James, and John and led them up a high mountain. As the men watched, Jesus' appearance was transformed and his clothes became dazzling white, far wider than any earthly bleach can make them, Elijah and Moses appeared and began talking to Jesus. Jesus was transformed into his non-human form in front of three of his closest disciples. Those very same three disciples that he was hacked off at just a few days before. He didn't punish them. He actually pulled them closer. Amen? If, if we keep looking, uh, verse 30, Mark chapter 9, verse 30, so just a little bit de- uh, farther down, so the disciples were trying to uh, cast a demon out of a boy and they couldn't. And, and, and uh, so, you would, so Jesus was like, he was like, okay, gosh, okay, I'll do this. You guys still don't get it. But look at what he did. This is after, um, after the boy was healed, verse 30. Leaving the region, they traveled through Galilee. Jesus didn't want anyone to know he was there, for he wanted to spend more time with his disciples and teach them. So do you see how Jesus did the right thing? Even though he was a little mad at the disciples, even though he was disappointed in them, he, he still said, you know what, I'm, I'm going to show you what I really look like. I, I, I'm going to go into my home region again, and we're just going to hang out just us. I, I, evidently, I need to pour more into you. That, see, that's what love does. Love serves. He, he decided to serve He decided to serve his disciples. So that's the first way that we love people when we don't like them. You choose to serve them. Amen? Here's the second way. Now that I've taught you to lay your life down for other people, I need to give you the balance of this. You create healthy boundaries. You create healthy boundaries. When you've got a family situation, whether it's a spiritual family or your natural family, and they're just driving you absolutely insane it's probably time to implement a good biblical boundary. Let's look at Jesus' natural family again, back in Mark chapter 3. We're going to look at verse 20. This is pretty funny. One time, verse 20, one time Jesus entered a house, and the crowds began to gather again. Soon, he, his disciples, couldn't even find time to eat. Verse 21, when his family heard what was happening, this is his natural family, Mary, his brothers and sisters, they tried to take him away. He's out of his mind, they said. Ooh, Jesus' own family accusing him of being crazy. Like, look, just let's get, see if we can just get Jesus home, have an intervention about all this God stuff. Has anyone ever dealt with that with your family? You're going all for it. You're going for God, right? You're like, I'm orienting my entire life around what the Word says, so I'll get the Word's results. And your family's like, hey, look, I'm all into this whole Jesus stuff. Like, we get this, but maybe you can just tone it down a little bit. Happened to Jesus. So interestingly... Let's look what happened. We we keep going. He, he has a run-in with the Pharisees. Verse thirty-one. Then Jesus' mother and brothers came to see him. They stood outside and sent word for him to come out and talk with them. There was a crowd sitting around Jesus, and someone said, "Your mother and your brothers are outside asking for you." Verse thirty-three. Jesus replied, "Who is my mother? Who are my brothers?" He looked around, because these are my mother and my brothers. Anyone who does God's will is my mother, is my brother, my sister, and my mother. He set up a healthy boundary. He said, look, you guys do not understand the, 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 what, the king, what is happening in the kingdom right now. You guys are not understanding. I've got a job to do. It's not that he was totally ignoring them because we see he went back home. And we see he took care of his mama. Remember, he's on the cross. He tells the, uh, the apostle John, he says, he goes, hey, take care of my mom for me. So it's not like he neglected his family, but when they were trying to interrupt him from his crucial ministry that was going on, he said, I, I, I can't do that right now. I've got I've to put up a boundary, and I've got to say, I love you. I love you enough to say no to you right now. Because if I say yes to you right now, it's not going to go very well for what God has ca- called for me, and it's not going to go well for you. Look, if you're always saying yes to your family if you're being run ragged by your family, you will be giving them a tired, burnout version of yourself. Isn't that true? So you have to learn to say no. This is, I mean, this is, and we're going to talk some more about this next week, but this is why on Mondays, you guys know I, I'm out of the office on Mondays. I'm hard to get on Mondays. Why? Because I don't have anything to give you on Mondays. I'm depleted and I need to fill back up. And if you force your way in on a Monday, now if you have an emergency, you know, I'm always, always available for those. But if you force your way in, it's not an emergency to me on Monday, you'll probably eventually get me to fold. But the version of me you'll get is not what you want. And then you'll get mad at me <laughs> for not giving you good counsel because you couldn't wait 12 hours. And so, so this, this, is, this is the truth. This is how we operate. If you don't set up good, healthy boundaries then you'll get out of whack. Jesus did this. There were times he said, no. And there's nothing wrong with that. If love does what's best for the other person, sometimes what's best for the other person is to hear the no word. It's not a cuss word. It's just, no. Not right now. Maybe later. I love you. But no. No. The last way, besides serving people and creating healthy boundaries, the last way that we can love people when we don't like them is we need to learn to walk in the Spirit. We need to learn to walk in the Spirit. Now, that's like a religious phrase. And many of you, even as I say that, you feel like you have an understanding of what that means. But if I were to ask you to define, what does it mean to walk in the Spirit? You'd be like, well, it means that you walk In the Spirit, I mean, it's like, what does that even mean, right? What does it mean, walk in the Spirit? Let me give you a definition. Walking in the Spirit is when you allow the Holy Spirit to guide your actions. Instead of your feelings or the facts. When you allow the Holy Spirit to guide your life, to guide your actions... Instead of your feelings, because sometimes you don't feel like doing what God wants you to do, right? You can't listen to your feelings. You've got to listen to the Spirit. And also, you let Him guide your life instead of the facts. Sometimes God's going to have you running into the fire. And the facts are, you should probably get away from the fire, because it's hot. But when you're being led by the Spirit, and He tells you to go into the fire, He's going to protect you. So that's why you have to be led by the Spirit. You have to walk in the Spirit. Walk on a daily basis. Look at Galatians chapter 5. This is super good. It says, uh, you've been, actually, yeah, this is fine. I'm in the New Living Translation. It says, you've been called to live in freedom or liberty is what the New King James says, brothers and sisters. But don't use your liberty or freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another, we talked about that, serve one another in love. For the whole law can be summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. But if you're always biting and devouring one another, watch out. Beware of destroying one another. Man, how many families, church families, natural families, do you see biting and devouring each other? And they're destroying their church, they're destroying their family. Some of you have been a part of those families. Some of you have been a part of those churches. I'm sorry. Because people were using their liberty not to build one another up and serve each other. They were using their liberty to have an opinion on everything in everyone else's life. So he keeps going. Verse 16. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. That's the New Living Translation of the phrase, walk in the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit, and you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. You will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Holy Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other so you're not free to carry out your good intentions. So you see, when we walk in the Spirit, we're not letting our feelings, we're not letting the facts guide our decisions. We're letting the Holy Spirit's guidance. This means that we begin to react to people and see people, see see situations, From God's perspective, not just from our own natural perspective. If you keep looking, uh, verse 22, uh, it talks about the fruit of the Spirit. You've heard of the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, kindness, peace, right? All these different things. Patience, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Love, because we're talking about how to love someone when you don't like them. Love is a fruit of the Spirit. You can't even do it by yourself. It's His. It's a fruit or a byproduct of the Holy Spirit. So if you're trying to love someone that you don't like and you're not going to God as the source of that, you're going to mess up. Because He is the source of love. The the Spirit creates the fruit of love. Love grows in you as God grows in you. If you want to be a better lover, y'all don't take that the wrong way, then you need to get closer to God. Because that's who He is. That's who He is. I don't know, it might help you in your love life as well. 1 John chapter 4, verse 16, it says, We know how much God loves us, and we have put our trust in His love. God is love. And all who live in Love live in God, and God lives in them. And as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. So as we walk in the Spirit, as we connect with Him, love is God, Jesus is God, so that, therefore Jesus is the best demonstration of love. Did you follow? Okay, so what did Jesus do for your family? He laid down His life for them. He chose to honor them and serve them, even when they didn't deserve it. Scripture says, uh, while we were still sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. He didn't wait for us to act right to do something good for us. Unconditional love. Love that's not based on someone's reaction. Love that's not based on how someone uh, responds You can ask yourself when you're going through a situation with your family, church family, natural family, whatever, there's just family insanity going on. What does God, as revealed in Jesus, think about this person? What does God, as revealed in Jesus, think about this situation? And then, at that moment, you are now officially walking in the Spirit. You're not being guided by the facts. You're not being guided by your feelings. You're being guided by what God himself says. What would it look like? I mean, what would your family, think about your natural family, what would it look like if all of you decided to love each other, even if you didn't like each other? What would it look like in our community, in our church family, if we all just decided, you know what? I don't like those people that sit a few rows back. But you know what? It's not about me. It's about Jesus. I'm going to serve them anyway. Y'all looking behind you like, maybe I don't. <laughs> giving them the stink eye during worship. I can hear you singing from over here. <laughs> Roll time. Are you willing to stop the family insanity in your life? That's my question for you. Are you willing to stop the family insanity? You know, many times when there's a situation in your natural family or in your spiritual family, it takes a hero. It takes someone to look past themselves and say, I'm going to serve I'm going to serve others. I'm going to create some healthy boundaries so I don't go off on this person. And I'm going to choose to walk in the Spirit. Man, our, our church fellowship, y'all, we, we're, we're a very drama-free fellowship. We really are. I mean, some of y'all have been a part of churches that was just like, ugh. We've got to keep it that way. You have to work to keep it that way. It didn't just, that doesn't just happen. Your family can be a picture of Christian unity, but it's going to take a hero. It's going to be, take someone to, to, to stop defending themselves and say, I'm going to lay down my right to be right, and I'm going to serve my family. I'm going to love them even when I don't like them. Amen? Let's stand for prayer.